Welcome to the Wolverine Confidential Podcast. I am Andrew Kahn. I'm Ryan Zook. I'm Eric McMahon. On this week's episode, we will be covering a lot of topics. Michigan men's basketball, women's basketball, baseball, softball, hockey, football. We'll be discussing the John Beeline news. And who knows where else our conversation might take us. All of that coming up on this episode of Wolverine Confidential. So this is take two for this week's episode as we uh, <laughs> recorded it previously in full, uh, only to realize the audio had issues. But, you know, that was before the Michigan uh, men's basketball team played Rutgers, before John Beeline was officially out as head coach of the Cleveland Cavaliers, before the women's basketball team's latest game. So all in all, this is a good thing. Positive attitude. Let's do this. More to talk about. Sure. Yeah. Let's start with John Beeline. Um, yeah, sure. Kind of, it's a, it's fascinating. It's sad. It's surprising. It's not at all surprising. John Beeline, uh, the winningest coach in Michigan basketball history, was here in Ann Arbor for twelve years. Signed a four-year deal to be the Cleveland Cavaliers head coach last May. He lasted till the All Star break. A little more than halfway through the season, the team had forty losses. I think fourteen and forty was their record as he stepped down. This was. Predictable, I say, because the organization had so many issues, and this was a guy not accustomed to losing. 40 losses, that's as many as he had in the last four seasons at Michigan combined. And then from the Cavs' side, I'm not sure what they expected. This is a guy who loves film study, who loves fundamentals, and then you've got a team whose players are complaining that they're watching too much film and spending too much time on fundamentals. Uh, just reaction to the news, anything you want to add generally about John Beeline no longer being the coach? It, it sounds like it was a clash of styles. You mentioned John Beeline and what he likes to do and how he likes to coach. And some folks pointed this out when John went to the NBA, that it was a it, it, his style necessarily didn't jive with what the NBA does. He's a very good college coach. You know, you can make a case he's a great college coach. But it, it seems to me, obviously it was only half a year, and we're not privy to the behind-the-scenes things, but it sounds like Given and this isn't the first episode. I mean, we've seen reports of incidents behind the scenes, and to me, it just didn't seem like it was a fit from the get-go. You know, this sounds like it was it went off the rails early on. Whether he didn't fit with the players and didn't agree with what he the way the style he was he was doing, um, it was just it doesn't seem like it was a good fit from the get-go, and that's that's why he saw the early exit. Yeah, I mean, for me, I, I assume that he probably thought the players would be more receptive to development fundamentals, getting better, and like. I assume he knew that it might, there might be some struggles this year, but he would be able to see some progress throughout the year. But when the team continued to struggle, it seemed like there were some locker room problems going on that, I mean, that would probably weigh on him a lot. Um, and then everything came to fruition, and now we're here. One thing I found interesting was I saw a quote on Twitter about how, like, yeah, the Bulls were so good, and Michael Jordan said it was because they practiced fundamentals more than anyone in, else in the league back, mm-hmm. in, back in the 90s, but... Obviously, the game has changed. the The egos have changed in the game, and here here we are. And, and let's point out there have been other successful college coaches that have been successful at the NBA level. It's not like this doesn't happen. You know, this hasn't hasn't happened before. But the NBA is very much a players' league. If mm-hmm. you can't win over the players and get them on your side. You're a, they're not going to win much, or b, you're not going to be around much long, or in this case, both. In Beeline's case, they have a young team, inexperienced team, not a lot of talent, and his obviously his primary job coming in there from everything we've been told is to develop those guys. I, I don't know how well that went, but it clearly from the get go, he did not have the players on his side. There, I don't think there's any other lead that one or two guys could get a coach fired by just saying they want him fired. Like you see that in the NBA once in a while, but you don't see that. 
any other league. Yeah, I mean, the flip side, just so you know, we don't make it sound like Beeline's crazy or the Cavs are crazy for hiring him in the first place, would be that you know here was a coach that was incredibly successful. He coached NBA talent, you know, just a year before they got to the league. The league is getting younger. This was a young roster. It had some veterans, but a lot of young pieces too. And you know, he they, he was always thought of as a great you know X's and O's mind and someone who didn't just rely on recruiting the best players. So th- I think that's what the Cavs saw. And from Beeline's perspective, he saw. This is a job where it's only basketball. I don't have to get out of practice and check my phone to make sure I'm texting a recruit or, you know, a player go to class or any of this other stuff. It was pure basketball. He was a basketball junkie. That's what he loved. But in the end, it really wasn't about just basketball for him. So anyway, to turn the page and and kind of make it more relevant to to Michigan now, it would be the fact that there's already rumors of which college job might John Beeline take next year. I would not be surprised if this is it for him. If he doesn't want to go out like this or he's saying, hey, when I took this job, I thought I'd be coaching for, you know, four or five more years. One year, that's not enough. I want to go somewhere for a little more time. There will be no shortage of schools that would be interested in him. The additional piece to this is his son, Patrick Beeline, that, you know, a lot of these uh, insider NBA stories about his departure noted that Patrick's abrupt resignation from Niagara University, that uh, would be his first Division I job, he stepped down before the season even began, weighed on, on John this season um, and contributed to his unhappiness. So if he could take a college job to potentially revive his son's career, bring him on as an assistant, kind of clean up his image a little bit. I mean, that's certainly something that, that people are discussing. I was, you know, I was at a Michigan Rutgers game last night, you know, with a lot of college basketball writers, and this was, this was something that was being discussed. So you wonder if that would factor in his decision to return. But we, we don't know. But there's, I mean, I've seen Texas. I've seen Indiana in the yeah. Big Ten. Northwestern gets thrown around by some people, but I'm not sure about that. Notre Dame, he could wait on, a, on a, you know, the shoe to drop on one of these FBI investigations, and suddenly the Kansas job is open, you know, if he's hunting a national championship. So a lot of factors, but in the end, you know, talking to a lot of a lot of Michigan fans around here, they just kind of feel bad for the guy that it that it ended like this, even if you know they weren't totally surprised. But yeah, I guess going to the the current Michigan basketball team, four in a row now, six of their last seven after Wednesday's win at Rutgers, the first team to go to the rack, the trapezoid of terror. I learned and come Is that away. What they call it now? Yeah, come come away with a victory. It was yeah, it was loud and it's small. You know, uh, uh, second smallest. Only Northwestern is smaller in the Big Ten. But yeah, Michigan got it done because they they just play defense now. It's amazing. Their defense has soared into the top 20 uh, on Ken Palm after being, you know, in the 50s for a good chunk of the season. So that's really been the key to the turnaround. And they did it last night without without Isaiah Livers too, which was Mm -hmm. even more impressive. Yeah, I mean, and I think the way that Jawan and and the rest of the players handled it, like Jawan seemed much more like at peace with the fact that Isaiah Livers didn't play. He, he even said like as a joke, like I wasn't crying when I had to, you know, when I learned he wasn't going to play today. Not saying that he literally was crying the last time that he learned, but it seemed like he was, he talked about it a lot, like how off, how much they were without him. But given that they had that stretch and they, they started winning a little bit, you know, they won some games without him. And then they just, they were able to just win this game without him. I think that's part of the reason. The other part could be that he, he is more hopeful that this is not going to linger. He was mm-hmm. in it. I don't know. I mean, we didn't talk to Isaiah 
he was down. I mean, that was that was evident that he was upset about this. And Jawan said that he was emotional when he told him he wasn't going to play. Isaiah himself was hopeful that he would play the day before in an interview on TV. So I don't know. It's an ankle injury. I don't know if it's an ankle sprain. I don't know what. He's in a boot. I was told simply for precaution to prevent, say, you know, a teammate from bumping into him on the bench and doing further damage. They're absolutely better with him. They need him to make a serious push, you know, in the postseason. But that's a good win that they just got without him. And you you wrote about this today, too. And and it was a big reason why they won last night was because of Xavier Simpson stepping up and and doing a little bit of everything for for Michigan. Yeah. I mean, just uh, uh, Rutgers coach Steve Peichel, um, who, by the way, continues his tradition of shaking hands with every media member after his postgame press conferences, thanks us for attending. Can you imagine that? He does this. He comes, he looks in the eye, thank you for coming and covering the, the team, even after a loss. He was just very complimentary of Simpson's play on both ends, you know, not just uh, as a facilitator and, and a scorer, but as a defender. I mean, the guy he was guarding for much of the game shot two for 10. Yeah, he, got, he picked up some steals and he just sort of set the tone on, on that end. And then you saw this whole next man up mentality, you know, Stay ready so you don't have to get ready. That's what Juwan always says. And you saw it again this time with Colin Castleton. Guy doesn't play for a month, hasn't played in double-digit minutes since the calendar turned to 2020. Comes in and gives you 10 straight solid minutes off the bench in the second half. Kind of out of position, too. So that was impressive. So, yeah, I mean, this team... After the Indiana game on Sunday, a lot of talk about, are, are they playing as well as they did in the Bahamas? Are, are they as good as they were when they were 7-0 and and they're rolling? Um, and, you know, the thought is like, yes, and why not? Why can't we be even better? You know, as we sort of, as the team adjusts to Jawan Howard's preferences on both ends of the court. But, you know, Isaiah Livers is a, is a big piece of that. So if he's out for an extended time, then, then that's going to be a big blow. He's had, obviously, multiple injuries this year. This is the first to the ankle this year, but... He hurt his ankle in the preseason last year. That's how Iggy Brazdakis was able to jump into that starting lineup spot, and he never relinquished it. Isaiah's freshman year, he tweaked his ankle in a game and missed the missed the game. So, yeah, he's had some ankle issues. So that's just something to monitor. We'll we'll get an update uh, tomorrow um, in the availability before Saturday's game at Purdue. Juwan's going to say that he's day to day, and he'll, he'll travel <laughs> with the team, and we'll figure it out there. But yeah, they go to Purdue then Wisconsin at home, then at Ohio State, then Nebraska at home, then at Maryland. At this point, 17-9 and overall, 8-7 and in the Big Ten. If they just get those two home games, that's really enough to you know be safely in the NCAA tournament, be out of that bottom for the Big Ten, which I think they will get those games against Wisconsin at home and Nebraska at home. And then if you can win one of those other one or two, even, you know, two would be really gravy. You know, probably not going to win at Maryland, but if you can win this Saturday at Purdue or at Ohio State— you know, kind of avenge that uh, tough loss uh, at, at home earlier in the season, then then they're in even better shape. But yeah, Ryan, you want to talk about, and we'll stay, uh, stay with the sport of basketball, uh, the women's team. They were in action as well last night. Yes, yeah, they bounced back. They lost a couple games last week and, and kind of dropped in the bracketology uh, projections. Coming in at number 10 is a number 10 seed. I mean, they Lost in a tough one to Northwestern. Uh, lost Nas Hillman for, for the game. She left the game with an upper body injury. 
Uh, she was able to return against Rutgers, but I mean, they only scored 40 something points in a loss against Rutgers. But they bounced back with an 80 to 59 win over an Illinois team that is 2 and 13 in the Big Ten uh, last night, which, so, I mean, obviously you need to win those games, and, and they took care of business. And they have three games remaining now. They have, they're at Michigan State and Penn State, two teams that are near the bottom of the Big Ten before ending with the home game against number 24, Indiana. Um, which should be a tough test, but I mean, this team, they should be able to get into the tournament. I, I don't know if they're going to get much higher than a 8, 9, 10 seed, um, which is always a tough, tough seed in women's college basketball. But uh, it looks like at this point, they're, they're going to be, they should be able to get safely in. And right now, they're, they're tied for sixth in the Big Ten at eight and seven in the Big Ten. So. Obviously, not having Hillman back and getting her healthy is key. If they lost her for any significant length of time, that could definitely derail their season. But with, with her and the lineup, they're, they're still a pretty dangerous team, and they can make the, maybe a little bit of a run in, in the Big Ten tournament. I don't see them maybe knocking off like a Maryland or a Northwestern or, a, or an Iowa, but they could get maybe a, a win or two in the Big Ten tournament and seal their spot in the NCAAs. All right. You know, we can go to the to the diamond, the baseball and softball teams, both surging. We'll start with baseball, a number one ranking. For the first time uh, in Definitive Hillsborough. number one. You know, there's there's no doubt as to who's According to Baseball America. Yeah, one of the six rankings that come out every week. There you go. But, uh, yeah, I mean, they were only top five in, in one other ranking. But, I mean, it's still a big deal. I mean, a Big Ten is, team has never been ranked number one by Baseball America since they've been doing these rankings for, like, 40 years. And, I mean, they had the two most impressive wins in the country to start off. They beat uh, number one Vanderbilt 4-3. to three. Senior Matt Schmidt hit a two-run home run in the ninth to give him the lead, and he entered the game with zero career home runs. So, I mean, just another guy stepping up um, just like they had last year. And Isaiah Page came in to close it out in the ninth, loaded the bases, and, and finally got a fly out to center field to end the game. And had two more games. on What was probably the most impressive was on Saturday. They had a game uh, in the afternoon against Cal Poly, won 8-5 to five there. They had about a 30-minute bus ride to go take on Arizona State. Got the projected number one overall pick in Spencer Torkelson. A number three ranked team in the in the country, and they shut them out five to nothing. The weekend did end on a little bit of a sour note with a seven to one loss to UConn, but still, uh, you couldn't ask for much of a, a better start for the Wolverines coming off their College World Series appearance last year. Yeah, I mean the number one ranking is significant because you know Eric Backage, the manager. Do they at college? Do they call him the coach? coach? Do they no, call him the coach. Yeah, All right, yeah. the skip skipper yeah. can go. You know he can go to any recruit now, and he can say, listen. This is where we were when I got here. We hadn't been even ranked for however long. We then got to the College World Series final. Took one win away. One win away from capturing the national championship. And then came back the next year and rose to number one in the entire country. You can come here to Michigan. You don't have to sacrifice any of those team goals that you might have. I mean, the thought would have been like, oh, yeah, maybe there's, you know, there's a lot of other factors about Michigan that I like, but... You know, it's if not. If you want to win a elite. national championship, you typically don't come to a, right. a northern school. But they've shown that they they can. Yeah, I mean, they're, why they're, not? They're good enough. Exactly. So that's why I think it's a big deal. Even if it's you know, again, like you said, it's it's funny to point out that there's a lot of different polls and you know there's a lot of uh, variance in, right. in where they yeah. fall in these. Well, they are a consensus top ten. Is that right? Yeah, where are they in the MLive.com yeah. poll? I mean, that's yeah. really what matters, <laughs> and I think they're. I saw they I were think, one. So that bodes well for the season. I mean, they're going to have a shot to 
obviously when the Big Ten right. get back in the, and, the college world series. And, and these types of wins early on are, are really key to boost their RPI later in the season when you get into Big Ten play when there's not teams you're going to be facing that are ranked all the time. I mean, you'll typically get one, two, maybe three teams that are ranked. So it's hard to really pad your NCAA tournament resume once you get into Big Ten play. So the, that's why these wins are important. And it's even more impressive considering they've been practicing either inside or in sub-freezing temperatures outside for the past month, month and a half. So to be able to get out in the warmth and, and perform the way they did is pretty impressive. So they get to face UConn again three more times this weekend, a three-game series in Florida. So we'll, we'll see if they can get a little bit of revenge for, for last Sunday's loss. Um, and then the softball team? Off to a hot start as well. Just as impressive. <laughs> they're at, they're undefeated. 9-0. and I mean, they won four more games last weekend, beating number 25 North Carolina and Louisville twice each. And, I mean, they've been getting the timely hitting that they've needed. They have that two-headed monster at the top of their rotation in, in Megan Bobian and, and Alex Storacco. Uh, both have sub-two ERAs. And Storacco is fourth in the NCAA with 62 strikeouts in just 33 innings. So it's either they're they're getting it done at the plate in key times. They had a, a freshman come up in uh, a tie game on Sunday against Louisville and hit a grand slam for an eight to four win. So it's just they they're finding ways to win at, with a young team that that has not much experience. It's it's pretty impressive what they've been able to do here first two weeks of of the year. Softball's unique too because if you have and you just mentioned it, you have two really good pitchers, you can go far. You can you go can, really you can far. A lot of games. There's a lot of one to nothing, two to one wins when it comes tournament time in softball. So yeah, I mean, Bobian and Sirocco both have been impressive. Both are were highly touted coming out of high school, so they're going to have to rely on that those two throughout the season because yeah, they've been getting hidden hitting right now but it is still a lot of newcomers in that lineup that don't really have a long track record but we'll see yeah i know fans around here are excited for the teams both of those teams to return here and start playing some games in ann arbor when the weather warms up but about a month when does that happen about yeah mid-march is they'll they'll come home and finally start to to play some home games too bad there are none this weekend it's supposed to be like 50 and sunny saturday and sunday yeah i guarantee you it's gonna be warmer this weekend than some of the home series they play in a month from now that's just that's how it goes. Fair enough. Let's talk a little puck, too, huh? Yeah. The hockey team surging. Another surging team is <laughs> quite the theme here lately, but I was at the duel in the D game on Monday where Michigan beat MSU 4-1, to and the Wolverines are now 8-1-1 since January 1st, moving all the way up to number 20 in the pairwise rankings. Overall, they're 15-12-4 and 10-8-2 in the Big Ten, um, which... If you just look at that, it doesn't seem too impressive, but considering they were started 0-6-1 in the conference, kind of season kind of feel like it was going to be written off midway through, and all of a sudden now they're, they control their own destiny in the quest for the regular season title, which would give them a first-round bye in the Big Ten tournament and give them home ice advantage throughout the Big Ten tournament, which would be important because they're still not guaranteed an NCAA uh, at-large bid if, if they still have some work to do with four games remaining two big series they have Notre Dame this weekend and then go to Minnesota one of the teams they're chasing in the Big Ten right now um, to close the regular season so a lot of key points on the line and we'll see if they can continue moving forward the fact that I I can and Aaron you probably feel the same way uh, you know talk intelligently about the pairwise rankings to college hockey fans it's it's really it's a a tribute to this guy right here (laughs) I don't really have any that I have that opportunity to ever share that knowledge but if it comes up I'm equipped with the right lingo 
right. and, and that background info. Yeah, so um, I mean, basically, in order to get an at-large bid in the NCAA tournament, you want to be in the top 14 of the pairwise, considering there's always a few teams that win the their conference tournaments that are outside of the top 16 the auto pair lines. Yeah, so. But it's not, is it a hard and fast thing? Like this, we're just going down the line, or is it just kind of a guideline? It's, no, it's it, uh, basically it's the way the NCAA t- committee has done it in recent years. It's ba- like when Minnesota Duluth won the national championship a couple of years ago, they got in by the slimmest of margin because of the pairwise rankings, and they were the last team in, go on and win the national championship. So, right. yeah, it's they b- basically are – Tried and true. And obviously, I knew the answer to that question. I just wanted our <laughs> listeners yeah, to, to get it as well. Of course, I knew how it worked. We can move to football a little bit. Is there any, uh, I mean, obviously, there's NFL draft yeah. news, but is there any anything with the, the current team? A couple that... things. Yeah, when we recorded this a few days ago, I didn't have anything. Now I actually have dates. Uh-huh. Uh, we got them today from Michigan. They uh, Michigan will start spring practice on March 17th. That is a Tuesday, St. Patrick's Day. The players will have to practice on St. Patrick's Day. And then Michigan is going to host a open practice I guess this is going to replace the spring game, although I don't know. They, they haven't figured out the format just yet. But it's going to be April 18th at noon at Michigan Stadium. That is a Saturday. I believe it's Easter weekend, right? Is that Easter weekend? I, I've, I've, I have my calendar up right now. It is not. It's it, not. That's okay. the 12th. Yeah, I don't think they would okay. do that. I think they did one last yeah, year. They, they, they yeah, they have. Yeah, they, they have, have done before. before. Yeah. Yikes. But, yeah, so the, the open to the public I, practice will be April 18th. You uh, can watch the Michigan football team on the Michigan Stadium field, field correct. do something with correct. footballs. Yeah, we, <laughs> they'll figure out a format at a later date, whether it's actually going to be a game or just you know a practice. I think last year was just like a op- uh, practice. No, la- well, last year they like scr- it was like scrimmaging. It was different. So it depends. It's going to be up to Jim Harbaugh and what they're, you know, they decide at the moment. Um, but we won't know for, for weeks here. But anyway, they're about to get ready. A little under a month now, they'll start practice. Pro Day is in Ann Arbor, March 13th. So the NFL, the guys that have either declared for the NFL draft or out of uh, eligibility for next season that want to potentially play in the NFL or the next level, um, they'll have an opportunity to work out in front of pro prospects here in Ann Arbor March 13th. Okay. So And then we got coming up, obviously, the combine is next mm-hmm. week in Indianapolis. Uh, Michigan has had 11 players uh, receive invites. Some are obviously more, more highly touted than others. We spoke this week to Mel Kuyper in ESPN. He earlier this week he had he put Caesar Ruiz in his first round mock draft. He had Ruiz thirty two of the Kansas City Chiefs. And talking to Kuyper yesterday, it sound, or Wednesday, it sounds like he thinks Ruiz could not only go you know the first round, but he had him potentially up to twenty four. So it looks sounds like Caesar has improved his stock. The combine can go a long way in helping him and go, and then go a long way in helping a lot of other guys. I mean, Josh Uche sounds like he could be a fringe first-rounder. Kuiper had him solidly in the second round. Oh, or it was Kuiper calling him Josh Uchi or Uchi. Hey, he's Uchi. just devouring that tape. He's not watching the broadcast, yeah. you know? <laughs> so, I mean, and, and Uche had a really good senior bowl. We've talked about this in, the, in previous weeks. That really helped his stock. And if he comes out next week in Indianapolis and tests well, that – could theoretically put him in the first round. The issue with him and several of these Michigan guys is they're considered tweeners. You know, they're the guys that could be in the middle of two positions. You know, Uche could be a defensive end. He could be an outside linebacker. Most prognosticators have him categorized as an outside linebacker, and that's expected reason to end up. But again, he, he was kind of a uh, Swiss Army knife at Michigan, a little bit of everything. So there's a ton of tape on him playing at one straight position. Yeah, if a, te- if a team likes you, you're versatile. If they don't like you, you're a tweener. That's right, just yeah, how, right. That's how it works. You're right. So there's several guys we're going to be obviously monitoring. Uh, Donovan Peoples-Jones, interesting name. Uh, asked Kuiper, or he was asked, Kuiper was asked about Peoples-Jones on Wednesday. 
Um, I think he said fourth, fifth round, which I think is a little bit of a surprise to some folks because I can remember going back to October when, when Tom McShay had him in his first round. Kuiper did say that McShay is a little bit higher on people's Jones than he is. So I'm, I'm curious to see where Todd has him now. But it sounds like his, his draft stock has fallen a bit. Um, but again, you know, a good combine next week in Indianapolis can help that, along with several other guys. I think... I think Kuiper, you asked about Josh. No, Josh Metellus came up and he said. Yeah, he actually brought up Josh Metellus on his own, saying that if he could show some speed at the combine, he he could improve his stock a little bit. I wrote about Lavert Hill today. He's a guy that fits maybe in the nickel and dime packages at the NFL level as a cover guy. Again, he doesn't have the greatest speed, doesn't have great size, um, but he can cover. And in today's NFL, you you need four or five cornerbacks that can that can cover these receivers that teams are trotting out here left and right. I have to think with the tape on Levert and his brother playing in the NFL and Jim Harbaugh's connections at Michigan, I think a team is going to take a chance on Levert Hill. He may, I think, Kuiper had third, third to fifth, fifth if he tests well at the combine. I could see, I could definitely see a team, you know, taking a shot at him in the third or fourth round. I mean, just, I mean, he's he's a he's a good kid. He he, he knows the game of football. He has, the, you know, the family connection and everything else. I think he'll he'll get taken in just a matter of of where. For sure, and, and teams always should use a cornerback these days too, with with how how the game's changing, and a little bit not too surprising regarding Shea Patterson. Kuiper says he has a priority or free agent grade on him. Um, he said he wouldn't be surprised if he's drafted in the sixth or seventh round, um, but at this at this point, it's looking more like he could be signed as an undrafted free agent um, after come uh, in a few months. And that's not a big shock. I mean, he Shea didn't have such a hot season. He didn't play well at the Senior Bowl. He has athleticism, and he, you know he's he has football savvy about him. So I could see a team, you know, taking a shot at him, giving him a shot. But I, it's it's at this point, given you know his 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 less than stellar season this past year, his size, he's a little undersized for a quarterback. You know, it's gonna be tough to see tough to see a, a team you know take him early and, and give him a legitimate opportunity. With him, it's he doesn't do any like one thing really well. So he just he's got a little bit of. A few attributes, but he isn't uh, a complete package in, in any sense of the word. So we'll see, we'll see what happens. Again, it's still two months until draft time, so a lot can change from now until then. But at this point, yeah, there's you got a little bit of a sense where some of these guys might be going come draft day. Yeah, a couple guys we haven't heard much on. John Runyon, we, I don't think Kuiper brought up at all. I'm curious to see where he ends up. I, I think his, his draft grade from the NFL was a little low. But he had a really good year, I thought, and he, he does have the lineage, his father, and everything else. We are going to talk to NFL Network's Daniel Jeremiah on Friday, and I'm going to ask about John Running specifically. But he's a name that hasn't come up a ton, so I'm curious to see where he goes. I think the, otherwise we've hit on almost all the NFL NFL guys, or Michigan There's guys. There's Cuts Kuli Kuts, yeah, that's he wasn't right. He'll much. probably he go low. A... Um, there were two Michigan guys that were not invited to the, the combine that are worth noting, Michael Dana. A former first-team All Midwest Conference pick, he was he wasn't every down defensive end at Michigan. He's another tweener where it's unclear kind of where he could fit in. He's a, he was undersized defensive end. Is he fast enough to play linebacker? You know, I, I don't know. And then Jordan Glasgow, you know, he's obviously his two brothers in the NFL. Uh, he hasn't gotten a grade. He wasn't invited to the combine. I, th- I have to think some team is going to take a shot at him, whether it's drafting him late or, or signing right. him. Free he, he sounds like the special teams guy in the Definitely. NFL to me. That's that's where he would fit in. Yeah. So we'll have more next week. Uh, I'll be in Indianapolis along with our NFL writers, planning on talking to every every one of the Michigan guys, just getting a feel for where, where they're at right now and and their feelings going into the. NFL draft. It's coming up April twenty third and twenty fifth in Las Vegas. Let's close with this. Uh, we'll be talking about it in the coming weeks for sure. Months, honestly. 
last year at this time with the Michigan football team, the big question was how will the offense look with a new offensive coordinator, Josh Gaddis? Uh, if there's one question surrounding the team this year, what, what would that be? It's, I think it's pretty easy, and it's a topic we'll be hitting on quite a bit, the quarterback situation. You know, we, Shea Patterson is obviously gone. Um, last year we knew who the starting quarterback was going to be. Uh, the offense line was coming back. They had weapons at receiver. Now they're going to get some receivers back. But the quarterback is the guy that touches the football a ton. So you, you got two guys there uh, with Dylan McCaffrey and, and Joe Milton kind of duke it out. You can maybe put Cade McNamara in there, I guess. I don't know. But Michigan has, is going to have a full-fledged quarterback competition this spring and probably into the fall. I would not be surprised if this thing isn't settled until a week or two out before the, the opener. At this point, it's basically a coin flip, I and mean, there's no indication of who might have a, have the inside edge right now at all. It's probably going to, like Aaron said, come down to the wire. Well, uh, that'll conclude this episode. Please tell, tell me which podcast out there is going to hit on this many different University of Michigan sports. And I mean that literally. Tell me in, the, in a review uh, on iTunes if you found one or if you haven't or what you think about this podcast uh, at all, assuming you like it. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week. This is Acast Recommends. Every week we pick one of our favorite shows, and this is one we think you're going to love. This station is Bank. Change here for the Central, Waterloo, and City lines. Please mind the gap when exiting the train. And please, 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 be careful on the platform. The Nobody Zone. The truth and legend of an Irish underground killer. A new six-part true crime podcast from RTE and Third Ear. Acast is home to the biggest podcast from the U.S. and around the world. Subscribe to this show and hundreds more now via Acast or wherever you get your podcasts.